0: Hello, lumberfolk, lumberjacks, lumberjills,
1: and everybody in between. This is Lumberjack Philosophy. I'm Alex.
0: I'm Catherine.
1: And we are here to bring you the news. Uh, the goal of this show is to kind of put really complex topics in context for regular folks. And uh, we are here. Uh, we're just two regular college-aged people, and we're ready to bring you that news. I'm ready. All right, before we get going, though, we have a sponsor for today's uh, podcast, A&K Bank. A&K Bank is dedicated to uh, providing rural services banking. They have realized that in the United States and Canada, uh, A&K Bank realizes that the most underbanked, underserved business, uh, people and animals in the world are in rural places. That's why they're offering their new service, Banks for Bears
0: exclusively for bears
1: exclusively for bears grizzly bears black bears and everybody in between brown bears too um they are not racist Uh, bears have you ever been out in the wilderness eating berries and realized you know what it would be much easier if i had a car loan to be able to uh, drive around in this wilderness here instead of tromping through the bush have you ever busted open into a home just because you were mad that you didn't have a home of your own? Well, come to A&K Bank and we'll give you a mortgage or a car loan.
0: What if they don't have a credit history?
1: (laughs) No credit? No problem. We offer really, really high-tech solutions to your credit needs. We'll even give you a credit card if you so require. Do you want some Starbucks? Are you really itching for some McDonald's? Come to a K and K Bank and we'll give open a credit line for you. A
0: hmm. and K Bank. I mean, if they're breaking into houses, what they really need is a defense attorney.
1: That, that's next week's sponsor.
0: <laughs> okay, okay, okay.
1: <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um <laughs> uh, all right. Uh so this is kind of going to be the uh layout for our new our show. Um are we just gonna get right into the news, Catherine?
0: Well, not yet. Um, I want to tell people who we are.
1: I don't think that matters very much, but I, th- I, guess, we can, I guess we can talk about it a little bit.
0: Yeah, what, what's, what's your degree in, Alex?
1: Um, so <laughs> I, I have a degree in philosophy, which is probably kind of the impetus for the, the naming of this show. I did not choose the name. Uh, Catherine did, but uh, I, I fully endorse it. Uh, and now I am one semester away from having a law degree. Uh, Catherine, what's your background like, and what are you doing now?
0: So I, I we both went to the same school, Beloit College. I studied biochemistry my first few years, and then I switched my major to mathematics. Actually, partially because of Alex, inspired me to think more more about philosophy, and actually mathematics is deeply philosophical for me. And then. Um, yeah, now I work as assistant scientist, actually, at uh, a pharmaceutical research company. So, not, not exactly mathematics-related yet, but hopefully we'll get there.
1: <laughs> right, right. And you you wear a lab coat to work?
0: I, okay, so this is me being <laughs> overly <laughs> paying too much attention to details, but I technically don't wear it into work. Okay, but you... <laughs> you all right, moving right along. But you can't because it contaminates the. Uh-huh. Uh, oh yeah. 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 Okay. All right.
1: All right. Well, um, what's the first news story that we wanted to talk about, Catherine?
0: Um. Well, I wanted to talk about. Um. It's sort of. It's from late July, but. It, I I still want to share it. It's essentially about mathematicians boycotting predictive policing. And um, so. What is
1: predictive policing, Catherine?
0: It's essentially. The use of data analytics and various types of you know mathematical modeling to look it essentially uses the history of crime to to not just to predict the future and then
1: you're gonna have to say more on that because that sounds like some some dystopian stuff
0: some of it does like some of it is and one of the fears that the mathematicians in this article express is that, you know, you look at the history of arrests in a certain area, and then what you do is you dispatch... This is kind of aimed at when police departments have limited resources. So you look at the arrest history of a certain geographic location, and then you send more officers to that area. Not even in direct response to actual crimes. It's kind of just looking at history and then using these models to predict the future. And when it comes to the cases like looking at arrests, it's not even... There are definitely concerns about feedback loops because arrests don't necessarily mean like an actual crime happened. All that is is just an officer thinking that someone should be arrested, you know? And one of the people who signed this letter is the author, um, I, I've i actually read this book, Kathy O'Neill, who, um, wrote the book Weapons of Math Destruction, and it kind of talks about how many of these predictive models aren't even used in ways that make sense. Like, you're using a mathematical model, but not in a way that reflects the realistic human story of things. So, pretty much what happened was, on June 15th, In response to several weeks of protests and to everything that was going on, um, um, prominent academic mathematicians uh, wrote a letter um, that was submitted to Notices of the American Mathematical Society. And um, over, yeah, over 1,500 people signed the letter. Oh, wow. So many mathematicians are speaking out and want to sever ties with the police. But, you know, it's not seamless process because there have been times where, for example, specific companies that do data analytics have worked with police departments and they've involved mathematicians.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that you brought this article up, Catherine, because it's kind of central to what I do. So um, I just got off an internship over this summer. Uh, I worked with a state public defender's office. Um I I've now worked at the state trial level, the state appellate level, and the federal level, and I'm going to be working on a project to go to the federal appellate level this fall with the fe- federal public defenders here in Wisconsin, um, and they are all vehemently opposed to this style of predictive policing. Um, while it does sound good in theory, um, uh, uh, it's it's really not a great uh, practice in practice, you know? Um,
0: which is what these mathematicians found. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, but it's, it's interesting that, um, that, that this is receiving pushback now because over the last, I don't know, probably 10 years or so, um, there's been a real push to kind of standardize, uh, like the criminal justice system in general. Basically, um, when people are arrested and they go in front of a judge or a commissioner for bail, um, a lot a lot of places now uh, use these kind of standardized forms to try to discern and break down into one number uh, people's um, willingness to reappear in court and the propensity to commit new crimes while out on bail. And that's just another way that uh, big data is, is is trying to be used to predict what people are going to do in the future. That's been really negative for my clients so far, at least from what I've seen, because generally speaking, um, these these sorts of analytical tools are over presumptive. They, they over presume that people are going to commit new crimes or not appear in court or whatever, what have you, which is really unfortunate. Um I also know that right now though, things are really in turmoil because of coronavirus. Arrests are down across the country. Crime is up across the country. And lots of other things. Like police are quitting. Um so I think I, I, I think that like there's gonna be a real issue here in the next couple of like months or years that as more police kind of retire early or just quit outright because they don't feel like they're accepted in in the um, kind of culture of of america we're going to see more um, police uh, departments being more strained and having to deploy more of these resources like predictive policing to areas that they think is going to be the highest level of crime
0: yeah and there are some levels of hope like what's already been happening in the past few years before before 2020, is police departments would try out specific types of software, but they actually would discontinue use of them, seeing that just the way they were applied was just too immoral, given the insights that the data could actually supply. And then several departments, for example, in California, in response to the 2020 protests, like, absolutely ban the software. But they're definitely still concerning things. Like, one of the specific companies I'm talking about, that um very few police departments use, but they're some of the biggest de- uh police departments is a uh, Predpol, and this I've never heard of that. Yeah, they're pretty much a, a a Santa Cruz, California-based technology firm that develops and sells predictive policing tools. Um, I'm reading this from the article to departments across the U.S. and um, yeah, there was a huge mathematics conference um. Pretty much with this company where a bunch of mathematicians did, you know, workshops and stuff to focus on how to use this technology. But, you know, and the company also defended themselves saying that we don't use stuff like arrest data, which could create like bias feedback loops. You know, we use actual like victim submitted data, but there are still tons of issues with this type of stuff
1: i I will say though that this isn't wholly bad, um, so if you really want to dive into this stuff uh if you go to YouTube, I believe his name is Michael brenson uh, He is the acting chief of police for the Milwaukee Police Department. He and his department have been using predictive policing actually to relatively good effect uh in in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Crime rates have been down there comparatively to the rest of the country, um, although their program is not nearly as aggressive as, um, other places across the country. Like, they, while they do kind of take into effect that, um, they, they, they know that these feedback loops can exist, um, they don't, they don't increase police that much in any given area. But, um, that coupled with other uh, community policing techniques, like making sure that the police that are policing an area look like the community that they're in, have actually greatly uh, increased the, well, <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't say that, um, <laughs> I, I Milwaukee Police Department used to have a really, really bad relationship with the communities that they were policing. Um, but actually, in the last couple of years, it's gotten significantly better as these these programs have been implemented. Anyway, um, but thanks for uh, bringing this up, Catherine. This is a really interesting article.
0: Sure. And here are, well, so the biggest thing I want to share is at the en- end of the article, um, you know, Althrea wants to make it clear that their boycott is not just a theoretical concern um Dr. Althrea is a mathematician here in the United States. Um so the mathematicians have some uh, demands that essentially they're pretty much about transparency and community involvement. And here are the demands quoted from the article. Um four of them. One, any algorithms with potential high impact should face a public audit. So, you know, like a town hall or something like that. Sure. Sure um number two unless you have any comments well
1: what is a public audit gonna do like i guess how many people are really going to be confident enough in their like statistical skills to know what this public policing thing is doing and how to improve it like like i just i've been to a lot of community uh, meetings before and i have pretty much no confidence in the ability for just like random public citizens to like really dive deep into like these sorts of public issues like you, you've seen them t- like so many people care about like who the president is but like don't have time to get into local politics even though local politics impacts your life so much more than national politics
0: my understanding of these public audits so wouldn't there would definitely be interested members of the community who would want to know this whole p- predictive policing deal that's being implemented in a city but i think what these public audits include um, is members of the community who are researchers in mathematics. So this article specifically talks about math- mathematicians being involved in meetings and having their insight, and also just other researchers in the community, people can who can have an understanding of how analytics tools should actually be implemented to reflect reality.
1: Okay, that's fair.
0: And then number two, well, the, this segues into this. Um, experts should participate in that audit process, has per, a proactive way to use mathematics to prevent abuses of power.
1: Failed, if that's the case. Sorry, that's me being my de- <laughs> cynical defense attorney per- <laughs> self.
0: All right, number three mathematicians should work with community groups, oversight boards, and other organizations like Black and AI and uh, data for Black lives to develop alternatives to, quote, oppressive and racist practices. Any comment on uh, that demand?
1: No. Do you have any? Um,
0: My only comment, I guess, is, uh, like, I guess they mention these organizations because it's germane to these specific times. Mm-hmm. But definitely, I think it's definitely important to include a variety of organizations. Sure.
1: Sure.
0: Um, and number four, academic departments with data science courses should implement learning outcomes that address the ethical, legal, and social implications of such tools. Which I think that's really important because I do think that a, a lot of people who major in STEM and want to have a career in data analytics. I mean, I'm sure they're intellectually familiar with the idea of the field of ethics and philosophy. Mm -hmm. But to really live, you know, with those ideals in mind and to really live a daily life thinking about how does what I do actually affect people, you know?
1: Sure, sure. I think that's true, too. I mean, I'm always for more kind of discussing and thinking about what, what the philosophical kinds of implications are. In fact, I to get a little deeply philosophical for a moment, really the only question that humans ever have to answer is, knowing what we know, what should we do going forward? That's really the only question that we ever have to like think about. There are all, of course, of, of course, subsidiary questions, like what you do in research and that sort of thing to develop new pathways for us to potentially take. But at the end of the day, that's what we have to decide, knowing what we know, with our scarce resources, what should we do? And that's 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 all ethics really is. Anyway, closing thoughts.
0: Um, I guess yeah. My closing thoughts is just the fact that this even like fifteen hundred researchers signed this article, and that that gives me, I guess, a lot of hope that they're. Are especially mathematicians speaking out and that they care more than just about maybe the things they think about on a day to day basis? Sure, sure. Okay.
1: Do we want to move on to the next article?
0: Sure, you seem excited.
1: <laughs> I'm a little excited. It's a pretty short one and it's uh, pretty straightforward. Um, there are lots and lots of people, or well, <laughs> So I don't know if any of our listeners have seen um, signs around uh, town, some saying Trump, some saying uh, vote for Biden, you know, those sorts of political signs out. Well, recently I've been seeing um, signs that say just end it already, you know, Uh, with little pictures of of. A meteor asteroid on on the thing oh yeah well that's actually coming to fruition supposedly nasa has said that a smallish asteroid about 6.5 meters in diameter might hit earth the day before the election
0: (laughs) oh my wait so 6.5 meters i am definitely far from being an expert in you know, astronomy or geology or any of those fields that deal with asteroids. But what effect would that have on the Earth?
1: Well, um, they're saying that it's not really big enough to um, do too much substantial damage. But um, if you remember, in twenty thirteen, in Russia there was a small meteor that was much smaller than this one. It was only like four or five, like feet in diameter, um, zipped through the atmosphere and blew out windows for like hundreds of miles in very rural russia um so we know that if it were if the asteroid were to hit anywhere near like a populated area there would Mm. be probably some pretty widespread devastation probably some forest fires and that sort of thing as the asteroid ripped through the atmosphere more forest fires heated up oh yeah because there's lots of forest fires already happening in the western united states right now but yeah,
0: <laughs> and you said there was a one in two hundred forty chance it'll hit Earth.
1: Yeah, so it actually has a very small chance.
0: I mean, that, I guess that's pretty high, but
1: one in two hundred forty. I mean, it's 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 like so. There's a ninety nine point nine five percent chance that it's not going to hit Earth, basically. Sure. So 005 percent chance, but there's still a chance. Uh, and we'll know more as as the asteroid gets closer, obviously.
0: Well, and also hopefully more about where specifically it would hit. <laughs>
1: That's true, too. That's true, too. <sighs> but yeah, anyway, that just gets me thinking about politics. Uh, did you watch any of the Democratic National Convention?
0: Uh, I did not. I was actually... <laughs> well, here's my excuse. I was uh, preparing for lab testing the next day and fell asleep at like 8 p.m. Well...
1: It... <laughs> Catherine, I know that's a little bit of a lie, because uh, the Democratic National Convention went on for four days this uh, this week.
0: And, well, for real, though, like this whole week, um, it's been a pretty exciting week. I do, I do mean to catch up. Okay, But it's been my very first week of uh, okay. testing actual client products. So I've kind of just been, I go home, I sleep. The next day I'm in the lab all day. So here's my time to catch up. Okay. Catch me up, Alex, right. please. <laughs> well,
1: um, the the four days weren't that eventful. So it it actually, it was an entirely virtual convention, which I still don't know how I feel about that. I thought it was a little weird. Like I, I've seen other conventions before and you, you just look at the energy in the room and you look at all the hats and the balloons and like everybody cheering and screaming and you know, like President Barack Obama getting up in front of all these people and endorsing Joe Biden, that would have been a really, really intense emotional moment. And I just feel like we were missing that when we had this kind of virtual convention. But um, what I what I really wanted to talk about was there's a conspiracy theory, Catherine.
0: Have, oh, have, have I'm you, excited. <laughs> have you heard about this? No.
1: Okay. So um, the... The real big thing about the convention was that um, uh, the the Democrats were saying that Joe Biden was going to address the crowd live, um, and they they talked about that for several days um, because there there has been like indications that Joe Biden is kind of like showing early signs of dementia, that he kind of makes all these gaffes and stuff, but um, when when the going gets really tough. They want to show to the American people that Joe Biden can stand up and make a speech. For one, what was weird was um, his speech was actually the shortest speech of any candidate ever in any, um, any national convention of both the Republicans and the Democrats. So he made a very short speech. Comparatively, which was fine because you know, it, it's kind of hard to make a speech to like an empty room without like uh, applause breaks or cheering and that sort of thing. It's just it's hard to really keep the energy up for that. But what was interesting is even though the Democrats like pounded on this thing that this was going to be a live event, a live event, a live event, there are some people who think that it wasn't live, and they have a couple of reasons for believing this. For one when Biden was speaking he wasn't wearing a watch but immediately after his speech was done the this the it cut to him walking out onto a, like this kind of like staged area in front of a big television screen and stuff to go kind of like hug Kamala and hug Jill Biden his his wife um but he wasn't wearing the watch
0: Mm-hmm.
1: After afterwards, um, and maybe he had just taken it off or something like that. But what's what's more strange is that, um, uh, not only his watch disappeared, but his little, you know, those little flag pins that politicians wear. Mm-hmm. He was wearing a flag pin for his uh, uh speech, but he, it was taken off when he went to go uh, hug Kamala and his wife. And that just kind of suggests that, like, maybe some shenanigans were going on. Like, maybe he could have removed it, but why would he he have done that in between doing the speech and then going out to to just kind of, like, hug and then watch some fireworks or whatever they were doing? Mm
0: -hmm. Like,
1: that's just strange. Um, And so people online have kind of theorized that, you know what, maybe... They were so worried about Joe Biden not being able to get through the short, short speech that he was going to speak that they pre-recorded the speech. But then somebody forgot to make sure that he was wearing the same things the night of. Hmm. Anyway, that's just like a conspiracy theory. I think there are people that are out there that are trying to debunk it as well, but it's, it's a little bit of controversy
0: what's this? so if it is true what does that mean
1: well it just means that they lied they straight up lied to the american people
0: yeah but i'm interested in why they would lie
1: they the okay so they're worried that joe biden is is like actually kind of senile and can't right. get through a whole speech yeah. and they didn't want him to flub it when there are like 15 million people watching his speech okay but so they pre-recorded it even so... but even though they said it was live
0: thinking from their perspective though like these lies will just kind of catch up because eventually he will have to speak in front of millions of people live again like they can't just keep lying about this if they are <laughs> but
1: actually they might he might not have to if coronavirus keeps going on um they're already saying that joe biden might skip the debates um instead of debating trump uh, on on stage like they might say oh it's too it's too dangerous joe biden doesn't want to debate um they're also saying that like maybe even if it's continuing in january he's not going to do a live swearing-in ceremony instead it's going to be pre-recorded and taped
0: yeah but this could be like four years (laughs) eventually like i will have to do something live
1: i don't know i guess they're i guess they're just going to kick the can down the road a little bit but i i know for a fact that um the my friends at law school who work for the democratic party are, are pretty worried about it, that they're worried that he's going to slip up and make like a really big gaffe pretty soon.
0: He's already made where (laughs) some of the ones he's made already.
1: Well, he was talking to Charlemagne the God, um, on a very popular radio station in LA. Um, and he said, if you don't vote for Joe Biden, you ain't black at one point. Mm -hmm. Um, a couple of other things. Um, he also talked about his leg hair in front of children a lot, and he's he's just made some strange comments, and it kind of comes with um, being in public life for so long. Oh, I also, before we hopped on this podcast, I saw that... Um, some people are now saying that he plagiarized some of his democratic national convention speech. I didn't actually click on the article. I just saw the headline there, but um, that's also been kind of a theme of Joe Biden's legacy that, um, the reason he dropped out of the 1988 presidential campaign was he was accused of plagiarizing like a large amount of his speech. He was also accused of plagiarizing, uh, when he was in law school at Syracuse that he almost was, um, uh expelled from school for that Hmm. for plagiarizing so it's going to be a really interesting um kind of next few months as as things get down to the wire here
0: yeah i feel like oh well some of these particular things like oh we plagiarize like we get news articles like that all the time but what's more interesting to me is just the overarching what's happening with the democratic party (laughs) this cycle like (laughs) things just feel like they're really falling apart in many ways
1: yeah like they they went so (laughs) like it just seems like uh they went from a cab which is uh, it means all cops are bastards and black lives matter and that sort of stuff to to literally nominating the most pro cop uh uh party ticket that they've had well also yeah Well, for a long time, and
0: considering what she thinks about Biden in particular, like when I just you saying like oh goes off to hug, Harris, (laughs) I like this is some dystopian. Every day in twenty twenty feels like a dystopian reality in some way.
1: (laughs) A little bit, a little bit.
0: (laughs) Just like yesterday, even well, no, this is Friday. Alex and I were walking by Lake Mendota here in Madison, Wisconsin, and we were walking by the Student Union and. We just saw people kind of, I think they are just working as uh, waiters and waitresses, but they were wearing masks and kind of like almost like standing guard because the area is sort of closed off by the lake where people eat.
1: Yeah, it was closed off by like a chain link fence and they yeah. had like this guard station sort of. And It, yeah. it was just, it was weird.
0: Looking. It looks so dystopian. Oh, and then just people eating though still <laughs> <laughs> people trying to live their normal lives. Yeah. Like. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Well, that's all I had for the news this week. Uh do you have anything else, Catherine?
0: Um, not much for now, but we do have plenty planned for the future. Like we're going to talk more about everything from lumberjack sports to Bitcoin.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Remember everybody, buy Bitcoin. It's uh not um actually not illegal for me to say that because it is not a security. <laughs> it's uh the SEC said so. So buy, awesome. buy bitcoin. <laughs>
0: All right, guys, have a wonderful week.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. See you later, lumberjack philosophers.
0: This is Catherine.
1: This is Alex.
0: Bye.